Today, I'm talking to Dr. Lawrence Cox from the Department of Sociology at NUI Maynooth. Dr. Cox, could you please tell us the significance for your department and indeed other departments in NUI Maynooth of the donation of the Kinsarawiwa archive to NUI Maynooth? Well, you know, I think we're all very excited because it's obviously an absolutely unique set of documents. In here you have um, a human rights activist, social movement leader who is on death row. Um, he knows, and we can see this in the letters, um, that the trial is not likely to go his way. Um, he's very scathing about that. He's uh, involved in um, suggesting different ways that the international community can campaign to turn this around. Um, but he knows what way it's likely to go. And here he is writing um, his own reflections, his own thoughts, uh, as well as what needs to be done uh, to this uh, remarkable woman, Sister Magella McCarran, um, who's working as a solidarity worker with the campaign. So it's uh, an incredibly lively story, first of all, uh, and it's one which sheds light on so many different things at the same time because there is that um, dramatic human rights element the the drama of the trial you could you could make it into a play straight away um, there is the broader tragedy of Nigeria the Nigerian dictatorship as was um, the environmental aspects, the oil and gas industry in the Niger Delta, um, all the complexities of indigenous populations in that area. And then beyond that, again, it sheds light on so much of African politics, post-colonial politics, which of course in Ireland we share. So when you start to unpick it, it sheds light in so many different directions, really simultaneously. So, it, you know, it's absolutely, it's absolutely fascinating. Okay, and it was a student of yours, Dr. Cox, John O'Shea, who actually made the first contact with Sister Magella when he was doing his master's thesis. Can you tell us a little bit about the coursework he might have been doing? Well, um, Maynooth and sociology particularly has had uh, a long-standing uh, connection with events in Mayo, with the Shelter Sea campaign. Um, apart from anything, we're on the right train line. <laughs> um, and um, John was doing his thesis um, on one of our master's courses, a thesis about media representation of events in Rossport, which he felt was very unfair, very misleading. Um, and John, as I recall, it literally turned up in uh, in the department one day saying, what should we do with this? There are these letters, um, which uh, I think set everybody thinking furiously. Um, and then when Magella came down to Maynooth, she said actually that she'd had uh, longer contact with people in sociology because uh, Terry Clancy, uh, one of our PhD students, had been involved in setting up the Rossport Solidarity Camp. And then, of course, more recently, Jerry Ann Sullivan, who's been in the news, is a master's student in another one of our courses. So there was a lot of personal connections. And I think, um, understandably, this is obviously a very significant connection for 
Sister Magellan. She wanted to find a location where she knew this donation would be appreciated, where it would be used, where it would build on existing connections. Thank you. Can you tell me a little bit, please, about the book Silence Would Be Treason, which is based on the archive? Well, um, when the letters came here initially, the library, um, yourself, Helen Fallon, and um, Dr. Ida Corley in English and myself, um, put in quite a lot of work, um, firstly just trying to let people know that they existed and that there was uh, the library publicised that very dramatically. There was a great exhibition uh, and a lot of people saw and heard uh, about the, the existence of these letters and that they were now in the library. Um, but, uh, I mean, certainly I always felt that they're, the letters are, they're not obscure, they're not technical. You don't need to know uh, a lot about the complexities of the oil industry or Nigerian politics to read them as a very dramatic human record. Um, so we said, well, we should publish them and we should publish them in a way that they'll be accessible to younger people, to school children, to college students, and that they could be used by campaigners, people working on human rights, working on democracy, working on environmental issues. So... Um, I think yourself and Ida did most of the editing of the letters themselves. Uh, and um, each of us contributed an introduction talking about um, the different aspects of the letters, um, about the figure of Ken Sarawiwa in, um, in African literature, about social movements in the Niger Delta. Um, and we're lucky enough to be publishing it with two very significant figures uh, in the African world as well. Um, Firoz Manji, who for many years was well known as the publisher of Pambazuka, but also Kadesri at the African Social Science Foundation. So this is very much, it's a global event. It's, uh, the publication is happening in Africa. It's got obviously big resonances in Ireland, uh, not only because of Sister Magella, Maynooth, Rossport, but also because of let's say, Troker's involvement in the, um, in the Ken Sarawiwa campaign over the years. Um, and it will, be, it will go global. It will be um, coming to the World Social Forum, for example, to things like this, because, of course, Ken Sarawiwa is very much a global figure uh, and a figure whose name is well-known in any continent. You talk to people, you say, well, we've been editing Ken Sarawiwa's letters and people are immediately interested. And interestingly enough, I know in the archive, in addition to the letters and a collection of poems, there's the cap of Ken Sarawiwa, a moss-up flag, and uh, quite a large collection of ephemera, for example, posters, uh, advertisements, uh, speeches, etc. That type of material, typically, would you use that, um, or would students use that type of material when doing theses, etc.? I think so. And I mean, I should add to what you've just mentioned, the collection of images that Sister Magella also donated, some of which are in the book. Um, yeah, because if you're, you know, if you're an ordinary Irish school leaving student, you might have gone along to an amnesty event once or twice. But it's very hard to imagine what it means to be part of an indigenous population in the Niger Delta 
um, engaging in these kinds of protests under a military dictatorship. It's worlds away. So the more you can make it real to people, the more people can see, oh, this is what the images look like. These, these are the posters people use. This is what it actually looks like. Even just to see the, the kinds of streets that people are going down or actually the cheerfulness of a lot of the demonstrations. It's not what you expect from Ireland as well because I mean, uh, weather plays a part, obviously, but uh, you can see that a demonstration there is a celebration. It's a festival. Uh, it's a popular thing. and You're meeting your friends, your neighbours and so on. Um, so that that sets things going in people's minds because I think it's always very difficult to um, to read a text in context. It's one of the hardest things to teach students is how to look at a text and understand it not in relation to their immediate environment and what such a text would mean here, but to see really how it plays out in its own world. And that's, I mean, I think it's a, it's a challenge for libraries as well, isn't it? Is how Absolutely. To, um, how to mediate both the direct encounter with the text and the, the broader understanding. Libraries have a tradition of, um, and a very well-established uh, tradition of acquiring and keeping safe um, and preserving collections. But in this case, you were doing more with the uh, Department mm. of Sociology and the Department of English um, were making this collection available. So people who don't actually have the resources to come to the library or maybe from all over the world will have access um, hopefully to the book and also to audio um, recordings we're doing on this. Could you see other areas, other collections that the library and department might work with in terms of um, publicising social um, issues, concerns, etc.? Absolutely. Um... I mean, I think this is one of the most exciting areas um, that's happening at the moment in other areas of my work where I've been uh, looking at movements in, say, Burma and present-day Sri Lanka. The extent of digitised material available is absolutely remarkable and it allows people to do work which previously would have been very, very difficult to do. You'd have had to be very specialised, very well-funded, spend a lot of time travelling uh, and... So much, much more is possible, and I think once people know of its existence, they will use it. Um, I'd mentioned two areas. Uh, one, certainly, in within the department, we're cur- we have the Irish Qualitative Data Archive, which is purely electronic, and we're exploring um, an archive of research now on social movements in Ireland. Uh, and, I mean, I've had... Uh, exchange just uh, briefly with the library but hopefully in the future we'll find suitable forms where that can uh, work together. But I think um, maybe particularly because Maynooth is Maynooth um, and has historically been the centre not only of the hierarchy but also of much of the Irish missionary effort. So for example the Maynooth mission to China which I think dates to 1916, so its centenary is only a couple of years away. Um, an incredible number of Irish people went really all over the world, but particularly, of course, to the developing world in many different roles. Um, and historically, that's mostly been written about in a, from a 
purely religious and institutional framework, so to speak. But we're now starting to see both uh, from uh, inside those religious organisations, but also external historians talking about all sorts of aspects. So about, let's say, the role of women in healthcare in Africa, or the lives of elderly brothers and nuns who are now returning migrants coming home to Ireland, for example. Uh, and of course, from um, the same kind of period as Sister Magella's work in Nigeria, there was a vast amount of uh, Irish missionary work, which was what we'd now call solidarity work. Um, so famously in the Philippines, for example, but in a lot of Latin America as well, um, Irish religious were involved in all sorts of things going on. And of course, when people come back, even at the time, I think a lot of those people didn't really feel particularly welcome or understood in Ireland when they were enthusing about what was going on in the majority world. Uh, and now um, more recent issues to do with abuse and so on and the way Irish people's attitude to religion has changed, I think means a lot of people really just don't want to talk about it, which is a terrible pity because there must be many people who have had really interesting exchanges and who if we don't make the case that these are important collections um, they will throw them out or their family will throw them out or their order will throw it out it won't get preserved it won't get taken seriously and i think this is a um, purely for generational demographic reasons this is the time when we should be saying to people that is historical gold dust. These experiences, good, bad or indifferent, they're important. You know, let's, um, let's treat them as historical records. Indeed. Can we come back to your Masters? Um, it seems to me that it combines very well both the theory of issues and also what's actually happening in the real world, mm. practical research mm. in the field. So could you tell us a little bit more about the Masters? Sure. Well, in what we do, and this is the Masters in Community Education, Equality and Social Activism, which we do together with the Department of Adult and Community Education. So we're working with people who are community educators, social activists, people working for equality in a variety of different fields. So they're already practitioners, most of them. A few want to become practitioners. And we're working with them to help them reflect on and develop their own practice in that field. Um, so a really, really important part of that is making the comparison between what they're used to, what people typically do in their organisation, uh, in their movement or whatever, and the way other people go at it. Um, and from that point of view, obviously, the Kensarawiwa collection is fascinating because you can relate to it from so many different angles. The man was, he was an important political figure in Nigerian politics for many years. Um, he was uh, involved in, I mean, we might call it indigenous rights politics globally, uh, as well as um, for the Agoni, or issues around ethnic minorities, federalism, and so on. There's obviously an environmental aspect, um, there's a human rights aspect, um, 
so it touches on so many things and people can recognize it and it has a big resonance in Ireland uh, thanks to Trocra, Afri, Rossport and so on but it's different and I think that's very important because uh, Ken Sarawiwa, I mean, I suppose he's unusual in that he consciously set out to become a movement leader. He said to himself at a certain point, I have to become a successful businessman in order to finance this movement. It's a very conscious and remarkable choice when he felt that there was no place for him in the sort of official national politics. He took a step back, put more effort into his writing, his TV work, uh, into building up his company, uh, and then went back to say, now we're going to do this for a period. Uh, so he knew he was putting himself on the spot. And I think after the Civil War and so on, he had a fair idea of the kinds of risks he was running. But very often people find themselves in that situation without expecting it. You know, so Jerry Ann Sullivan didn't expect to find herself on the spot, and suddenly she did. And when you do, it's immensely important to have a sense of what's other people's experience like. You know, what could it be uh, to suddenly be the person on the spot and ask yourself, am I willing to do this? And Ken Sarawiwa is absolutely remarkable in that. Um, we're having... Dr. Owens, we were over from Nigeria for the launch of the book Silence Would, Would Be Treason. Uh, what does having a figure such as Dr. Owens, we were come to Maynooth mean to you as one of the authors of the book? Um, it's very sobering, obviously, because, I mean, when we're editing, we're dealing mostly with a text as a text, mm -hmm. and we're trying to explain it and make it accessible to... Um, a present-day audience, a contemporary audience, um, most of whom will not be Ogoni, most mm. of whom as well won't have personally experienced this kind of situation. Um, I, I think that's a, a sobering thing. It's a very positive thing uh, in our own lifetime, that uh, the world we grew up in, the world that uh, Ken Sarawiwa was in, uh, was a world with um, far more dictatorships, with um, this kind of execution as an ever-present possibility for people who challenged governments. And so much of that has changed recently, that in the normal day-to-day -day of things, however bad things are, they're not on that scale. And of course we owe that partly to figures like Ken Sarawiwa, because his work was... Um, one of the contributions certainly to the process of democratization in Nigeria. And there can be no doubt that the campaign that we see him and of coordinating from inside military detention um, contributed uh, massively to delegitimating the military regime. Um, but it's very hard to hold those two things together somehow in one place. Um, and so it, it's personally, it's sobering, it's humbling. Um, and I think it's really important as well to, um, to have somebody who makes that personal connection in a very real way so that uh, people remember mm -hmm. um, and people can make the connection personally. Because I think 
as we move into this, in some ways, less politicized world, you know, our media today tend to personalize things. They find it easier to talk about, you know, Ed Miliband's father, don't they, than <laughs> the, the details of politics. So that personal connection brings it home to us in a different way. And I, I think that's important. And finally, can you tell me, Dr. Cox, where will the book be available? Um, hopefully all over the world. Um, it will, of course, be available um, through the publishers, um, through online booksellers like Amazon and so on, through the library here. Uh, ActionAid will be publishing it in India. Um, so I expect it's going to have a very wide distribution. Um, and I believe there will also be an electronic edition of it. So um, very clear for all of us, I think, from a very early point was that we wanted it not just to be accessible in terms of a text that you could understand, that you could follow, that you could react to, but also accessible in terms of price. And thanks to very generous support from the library, Trokera, ActionAid, um, I won't claim to name them all, but they will all be acknowledged in the book. A very large number of bodies have realised the importance of this and have come on board, uh, and that means that the book will be available cheaply enough that nobody who wants to read it will be unable to, that it can be used uh, as a text in schools and colleges in Africa as well as in Ireland. So I think that's really important. Thank you very much, Dr. Lawrence Cox. Thank you.